Hello. Uh, yeah, so as Rob just said, we are today concluding our series on the echoes of Jesus, and we are going to do that by looking at Christ the Restorer. So looking at Jesus bringing restoration in all that he does. Um, but before we get on to the main point, um, I'm going to start by saying just a few things that have been on my heart about why this series is important, um, why if we let it, it can really help us and transform us. Uh, but before that, I'm going to pray. So if you all want to join me. <laughs> Father, I thank you that you are committed to restoration that from the beginning, restoration and redemption is on your heart. Lord, and that we can take comfort that every situation we're facing right now, everything we're going through, there is an appointed end to suffering. Lord, there is the promise of full restoration, redemption and hope. Lord, and even more exciting than that, we get to be a part of that process. So Lord, as we dive into your word today, I ask that you would give us all ears to hear what you're saying, that you give us hearts to receive. Lord, I ask that you would help me to say what's on your heart only. <laughs> Lord, would you come and meet us as we look at your amazing heart? In Jesus' name, amen. So as I said, we will start just by, as I've been thinking about this series and thinking about the conclusion of this series, um, I've been getting really excited about why looking at Christ throughout the Old Testament and beyond is transformative and is important. And so to do that, I'm just going to uh, read, well, I'm going to tell us a bit of story from Luke 24, uh, verse 13. If you want to turn there and follow on, you can do. I'm going to make some main points and mention a couple of verses. Um, but to give you the context, so in this passage of scripture, you've got two disciples walking down a road on their way to a village called Emmaus. Now, the context is that they have just been through the most traumatic thing that they've ever experienced. The one who they thought was going to change everything for them and completely fill their lives with hope, the one that they expected to uh, transform everything in a moment, they've just witnessed him die horrifically. Um, they, their group, their little group of friends and comrades has been disbanded. Uh, they are living in fear that the, the same people who killed Jesus are after them. And so they are pretty down, to say the least. And they're walking on this road, talking about everything that's just happened. And the resurrected Jesus just joins them, just joins the conversation. But it says that their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. Now, in verse 17, you see Jesus himself ask them this. What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? <laughs> so Jesus, having been through everything that he's just been through, knowing them inside out, knowing that he just died and is now alive again, comes alongside them, basically said, what's gone on that is making you so sad? And so they respond, as you would in that situation, um, basically with, what do you mean, what are we talking about? Are you the only person in Jerusalem who does not know what's going on uh, and who hasn't heard about these things that are happening? And Jesus, in verse 9, <laughs> says, I love Jesus. He says, what things? <laughs> and this is what they answer. 
The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. We were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. And they go on in that passage to say that it was now day three since his death and they hadn't seen him. And there were women in their kind of group that had gone to the tomb and said that they had visions of angels who told them that he was alive, but they still hadn't seen him and they were still without hope. And so in verse 25, Jesus responds with this. Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Now, one thing to note there in the disciples' response to Jesus is that they say, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed and were before God and all the people. So... These guys who have walked and talked with Jesus, the Son of God, who we see in the Gospels, have finally come to the realization of who he is. The promise hasn't happened like they thought it would, and they have completely lost hope. They've gone from, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, to what we're talking about is Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet. (laughs) They've lowered their expectation. They're saying, oh, he's just a prophet. And so Jesus said what he just said. And then in verse 27, it says, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So here you have Jesus, the resurrected Lord, the living word of God, talking to disciples, going through the Old Testament scriptures, going, this is who I am and this is who I, uh, where I was in all of this. And he we go on to see that those disciples go from that moment of trauma, that completely lost heart, that completely given upness, to actually, they all lay down their lives for him. They become the leaders of the early church. And I really believe that Jesus gives us one of the most amazing discipleship models here. (laughs) He opens up the scripture and he shows them Christ in every single passage. And there's something that takes place within their hearts that the scripture then goes on, we're going to look at it in a minute, to say, uh, that it says, causes their heart to burn within them. They didn't know that it was Jesus at this point, but something about the way that he spoke about the Old Testament scriptures caused their heart to burn, that they, that they would then go on to live uh, the amazing lives of transformation that we saw. So uh, to summarize the rest of that story, they arrive at Emmaus. Jesus looks like he's going to continue on the journey without them. And they, not realizing who he is at this point, basically beg him to stay. (laughs) Don't go on. Will you stay here with us? And he does. He stays. He sits at the table. He blesses and breaks the bread and gives it to them. And at that moment, their eyes are opened and they see him for who he really is. And at that moment, he vanishes. (laughs) Now... How amazing, just picture the scene, before Jesus got on the cross, what were the disciples doing with him? Breaking bread. (laughs) And suddenly they've just walked and talked with this random guy along a road who has opened up the scriptures to them in a way they've never heard. Their hearts have been burning and he sits down and breaks bread (laughs) and they go, oh my gosh, it's him. And then (laughs) he vanishes. Um, And they said in verse 32... They said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? 
Now, why on earth am I starting this talk with this passage? It's because this is exactly what we've been doing this series. See, the resurrected Lord here has incited passion in the hearts of believers by taking them on a journey through Scripture looking at himself. As I said, they've just gone through the most traumatic thing that they've ever been through, that you could ever go through. And yet Jesus knew that every single one of those disciples would end up dying for the cause. They go from denial to martyrdom, praising God for the opportunity to suffer for the gospel. They go from cowardice to courage like we haven't seen. They go from arguing who's the greatest to fighting over who's laying down their lives. How? I think he stirs their passion and faith again by getting them connected to the redemptive story, by leaving them in awe at who he is, by helping them understand his work of redemption. This is, I've said it before, this is the best methodology of discipleship we have ever seen. I think so often we get to the point where we have led someone to God and it's amazing and then it panic hits us of, oh, what do we do now? <laughs> I wasn't expecting them to say yes. <laughs> so we rush out to the bookstore and we buy all of the books that we can think of and we run all of the programs. I'm not against programs, they're great. But it's really simple. <laughs> We sit down and we open up the scripture and we get hearts connected to the redemptive story of Christ. That right from the beginning, he steps in. He comes close. He draws near in the moments of brokenness. And hearts begin to burn as they realize that the story of redemption that has gone on through all of history, that they are a part of, that the hope that all of this is leading towards is their hope. I think God was onto something. And I think sometimes we get settled on knowing that God loved the world, so he sent his son to die on a cross for us so that we could have eternal life, which is true. All of that is true, and it's important, and it's glorious, and it's awe-inspiring, but it's only part of a story. And without the rest of it, it doesn't make full sense. So when we have gone through, we've only skimmed some of the Old Testament looking at Christ. When we've looked at, you know, when Ed has looked with us about um, Jesus or how we see Christ in the way that God leads the Israelites out of Egypt, how he parts the Red Seas and bring forth, brings forth deliverance and restores identity, it's all ushering to Christ. It's all pointing to Christ. When we look at how he brought forth life in the wilderness, when we look at how he was in the beginning at creation and how he was a part of that, it's all to get our hearts connected to the story. And I really hope that as we conclude this series, that there will be some of us in this room that the way we read the Bible changes because of it, that the way we disciple people changes because of it, that we don't dismiss the Old Testament but we dive into the story knowing that the amazing narrative that is written is our story and it's our hope. And that if we can see Christ in every single word because he's there, he's a living word and he's active, then our hearts can be different as a result. And the amazing thing is that though we aren't walking down the Emmaus Road with Jesus, we have something different and some might say even better is that he's in us. <laughs> We're going to look at this today, that Christ is in us. But that means that though we don't get the privilege of, like I say, walking down the road and having him expound the scriptures, it means that every time we open our Bible, we have that same invitation because the same spirit of Christ dwells in us and he wants to tell us about himself. So when we go to Genesis and when we look at the story of creation, when we look at the covenants, when we look at the Exodus, when we look at the Levitical sacrificial systems, we get to say, Jesus 
show me yourself in this. Connect me to the story of redemption. Living God who dwells on the inside. Expound these scriptures like you did for the disciples and cause my heart to burn within me. We have the same invitation. Let's not miss out on it. We need to know the story. As Christ is at the center of our faith, we need to know that it all points to him, that it's all about him, that it is one redemptive narrative and God is the same throughout. So, saying all of that, saying we need to know the story, saying that we need to get connected to the big picture, we are going to look kind of at the end of the story today. We're going to look at Christ as the restorer. So, when you start to look at the story, you see that uh, the bookends of the biblical narrative are creation in Genesis 1 and 2 and the new creation in Revelation 1 and 22. Now, I don't know about you, but... Whenever I look at the world, <laughs> and whenever I watch the news, whenever I hear stories of what friends and family are going through, I think, well, we're not quite there yet. <laughs> there is still, as we've gone through scripture, with all of these foreshadowings of the hope that's to come, the life that's to come, there's a groaning and an aching, and it's still happening in creation, and it's still happening at us, because things still aren't okay. We know that Christ has come the first time. We know that he did amazing things on the cross and that he's resurrected and he's alive, but still things aren't okay yet. But the story hasn't finished. And just as we need to bear in mind the beginning of the story, we need to also set our hearts on the end of the story and let that story of redemption, let that narrative of redemption be the story that replays in our hearts. Now, to understand what Christ is restoring... We have to know what was broken in the first place, right? You can't know what restoration looks like if you don't understand the brokenness in the first place. So if you think back to our first, first sermon in this series, we looked at Jesus in creation. So I'm going to really, really, really quickly summarize the half an hour sermon that we did. So basically we looked at the Trinity. So you've got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, dwelling in perfect unity there. And it is in that context that creation is brought forth. So what does that tell us? <laughs> that the God who is intrin intrinsically relational, who could not be God without being in relationship because there's three persons, one God, in that context, context brought forth creation, which means that from the start, we were brought forth into relationship. The whole point of our creation was that we were brought into a relationship with God. It means that we weren't brought forth to fulfill a need, because God's not lonely. He's perfect communion. We were brought forth for God to give something, not to take, to give, to bring us into that relationship. We were created not from a place of need, but desire. We were the image bearers, and it was how it was meant to be. So, you see, Jesus in creation, perfect God dwelling with man, man dwelling with God, this beautiful story, and we all know the story that sin enters the world. But let's look at Genesis 3, verses 14 to 15. So we know what's happened. Eve and Adam have sinned. They've rebelled against God. They've listened to the serpent. They've eaten the fruit. And I love, love, love what God says to the serpent. Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. 
and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So from the very moment things go wrong, there's a promise of restoration and redemption. From the very moment God says, I'm going to step in. (laughs) And what's crazy is that from the very moment things gone on, not only is there a promise of redemption, but there's a promise that God is going to use humans to be a part of that restoration and redemptive process. It's like God says, Satan, I am going to take that woman who you have just deceived, who you oppressed, who you thought you crushed, and I am going to use her mightily to crush your head. Little do you know, Satan, that from her womb, now I know Eve didn't give birth to Mary, but from the womb of humans will come forth a baby, and you will laugh, but that baby is going to crush your head because he's God. And though you will bruise his heel, and for a moment it will look like you've got the victory, he will crush your head. Now, He has, in that sentence, attached himself. The living God has attached himself to us forever. Because not only does he straight away promise to step in. Now, bear in mind, he didn't do this for the angels. When Lucifer fell, he took a third of the angels with him in rebellion. And God let it happen. But Adam and Eve fall. And God says, not on my watch. (laughs) Because they're cherished. We're cherished. Because we were brought forth in relationship because he didn't want to do it without us. And so things go wrong, and God says, I'm going to step in. (laughs) But not only am I going to step in, I'm not just going to sort it all out, out, and you just sit tight and wait till I'm done. He gives us the honor of being part of the storyline. He says, I created you in the context of relationship, and we're going to keep doing this whole thing in the context of relationship. So things have gone wrong. (laughs) Now everything's out of order. The image bearers, so humans, The ones made to reflect the glory of God have stepped out of that and everything is out of order. Creation is groaning. And right from that moment, the story of history becomes the longing for restoration, the longing for redemption, and of God promising that it will come. So when we looked at the Exodus, we saw God delivering a people from slavery, of bringing freedom and hope, of restoring identity, restoring sonship from slavery, All of it, a glorious taste of the day when God will once and for all deliver the earth from bondage, deliver us from slavery, deliver us into that new identity, restoring order. We could have looked at David, the shepherd king, a foreshadowing of the king who would come from David's line and shepherd all of his people. Ed looks at God bringing life in the wilderness. All of it, we could go on and on and on at the events in history, the people in history that all point to Christ the restorer. From the moment things go wrong, the plan is in motion. There's redemption coming. There's restoration coming. And there's a longing and a hope for the one who will do it. In Revelation 21, verse 3 to 5, we see this. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write these words, uh, write, for these words are true and faithful. This is our hope. (laughs) 
that whatever is going on around us right now, whatever is going on in the nations, this is our hope that God, he could have backed off. He didn't, he stepped in because it was all about relationship and it will always be all about relationship. And at the fullness of time, there will be a day when there will be no more suffering, no more sickness, no more tears, no more death. Everything that we would want to do without, we will be. And it will be God face to face. (laughs) That's good news. That is good news. But it gets even better. Because sometimes when we think of heaven, when we think about our hope as Christians, we have this idea that It's all going to be okay one day because we'll be rid of all of this and we'll just go and sit on a cloud and play a harp. We have this idea of heaven that is just the cherubs and the wings and sitting on a cloud playing uh, playing a harp. But that's not restoration. That's escapism. God says, I'm going to do more than that. I'm going to make all things new. All of the pain, all of the brokenness, I'm going to heal, I'm going to restore, I'm going to deliver, including you. So point two. He makes us new. And not only will we see the fullness of the restoration on that day when he comes and makes all things new, and there are so many different ideas of what that will look like. I'm sure you have your own. I'm not going to go there. But he's actually already doing it. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. He is already in the business of restoration and he has started the process with you. Just as he said from the very moment that things went wrong, I'm going to attach myself to you forever and you're going to be a part of this restoration process. He has started the process with you. The moment that you gave your life to Christ, you are a new creation, whether you feel like it or not. Something took place on the inside of you and your spirit was reborn as Christ's spirit dwells within you. That changes everything. It means that we have authority. See, before Christ, we were powerless to overcome sin. We didn't stand a chance. No hope. The Israelites couldn't deliver themselves from Egypt. (laughs) They had no chance. And likewise, we could never deliver ourselves. But the day, the day that we invited Christ into our lives, that powerlessness left. Now, that doesn't mean the sin left. It means the powerlessness to challenge it and overcome it left. Because we have it now. (laughs) Because we're a new creation. And Christ dwells within us. In the same way that a child is birthed into a natural family and contains the DNA and characteristics of the parents, so we who are born of God have been birthed into the spiritual reality of the kingdom and contain the DNA of God. What does that look like? (laughs) That the power of Christ is in us. The very DNA of Christ is in us. If we could grasp hold of that, everything will be different. I think sometimes we imagine there's a kid, uh, they're on the streets, they've never known what it's like to have a home. They have, they're used to living on a few pence a day and suddenly some far-off aunt or something dies and they inherit 10 million pounds. If you've only ever... If you're only ever used to living off a few pence a day, you're not going to know how to access 10 million pounds, and so they don't. (laughs) That's our story. We have 10 million (laughs) pounds dwelling within us, and we choose to live off a few pence a day. We are a new creation with power to overcome. 
And if we can't beat the addictions we're struggling with, the anger we're facing, the pain we're battling with, whatever it is that holds us, we were never meant to do it, but Christ within us can and wants to because we're a new creation. John 1, verse 12 to 13. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We were born of God. Okay, last point. So God's going to make all things new. He started with us, and we get to be a part of the process of the rest of the restoration. Colossians 1, 26 to 27. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. <laughs> Christ in you is the hope of glory. It's not actually just your hope. It's not actually just your hope that one day that Christ in you guarantees that you'll go and be with him forever or that he'll come back and restore all things. It's actually the hope of all creation. Why? Because the redemptive restoration process has been attached to you forever. <laughs> not fully. We will never see the full thing until Christ comes back and he's the, the ultimate restorer. But there's something we have a part to play. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory, the hope of creation. Let's look at Romans 8. Verses 19 to 23, I think it is. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. <laughs> so the redemption of fallen creation is dependent on the revealing of the sons of God. Who are the sons of God? We are. Now I think the fullness of that, like I said, will obviously be the day that he splits the sky, that we're raised with him, that we have our new bodies and whatever that's going to look like. Of course, that's the real day that creation's groaning for. But I think creation is groaning right now for you and I to realize who we are. <laughs> the revealing of the sons of God. It's for people to look at point two and go, I am a new creation. Christ is within me. And just as I've seen him all throughout redemptive history step in and bring hope and draw close in the moment of brokenness rather than drawing back, that same spirit is in me and I get to do the same. I get to be part of the restoration process right now. And we see it in our church. <laughs> What the perfect day to be speaking about this, as we just heard, Rob and Jane and Tarzan, prime examples of people who say, I know who I am, I know who dwells in me, and I'm going to step into broken situations and restore and bring hope and speak life. And we saw the testimonies of the transformation of people who have caught hold of the fact that they are a new creation and they're part of restoring unto the new creation I've got a, uh, a personal story of this in my life too where people did just that, where they stepped in. Because all throughout this series, that's what we've seen God do. Make the first move. Step into brokenness. Bring hope. Bring life. And uh, for those of you who were there when I shared my testimony like months ago, uh, the ages of 16 to, to 18 were not the best for me. And I was, I'd given up lots of different reasons, lots of things going on. And... 
two people from my church decided that they were going to do just that and step in. And so they literally, right, pulled me into this side room of the church and said, uh, what's going on with you? And I, maturely and wisely, said, nothing's going on with me. I'm fine. And I don't want your help. <laughs> At which point they went, mm-hmm, and proceeded to give it anyway. And they said, here's what's going to happen. We are putting a date in the diary when we're all going to meet up, and we're going to actually go through this together. But until then, we are getting in the trenches with you. We're going to text you. We're going to call you. We're going to visit you. We are going to step in <laughs> to your life and be voices of restoration and hope. And the thing was that I couldn't escape it. <laughs> because on that day when we were all due to meet up, so I'd had the text, I'd had the calls, I'd had, and I'd be mid-making stupid decision, and I'd get this text like, this is not who you are, God loves you. And I'd be like, <laughs> throw the phone across the room. <laughs> so we get to this day, right, we're meant to meet up. And I think, I am not going. <laughs> You know, sometimes the, the actually confronting what is holding you is much scarier than just staying in it. And I felt sick. I was like, no way. But the issue was that they had stepped in so much that they were picking me up. <laughs> it wasn't even up to me to get to the place that we'll go to. So I, I couldn't run away. And they literally, every moment, every step of the way, stepped in. Restoration, voices of hope. That's why I love TLG and I love CAP. Why? Because it's people who realize that they are a new creation, which means they are carrying something that the world needs. Creation is groaning for what's on the inside of you. And rather than just picking up a phone, another number, step in to the people's houses, right into the midst of the brokenness. Speak hope, speak restoration, and see lives transformed. And of course, then there's prayer. We get to be part of that restoration process. When Jesus died and rose again and ascended to the right hand of his father, he what? He ever lives to make intercession. Prayer is a massive part of that restoration process too, and he has invited us to once again be a part of it. So I'm going to, we're out of time, I'm going to stop. But this is my hope. <laughs> well, I've got a few. The first one is that you, if you're sat here feeling broken and feeling like your situations are too overwhelming, there's good news. <laughs> there is always restoration. The entire story of history points to a day when there will be no more suffering because of who God is. He's a restorer. And the good news now is that, yes, the fullness will come, but he can do it right now. And it's also my hope that we will decide as a church to go on a journey of discovering what it really means that we are a new creation and that we will be empowered this week with what's on the inside of us, or should I say who's on the inside of us, to step into broken situations, just like our creator, just like Christ the restorer, because we're his image bearers. We're anointed to preach the good news to the poor, to bring good tidings, to bring liberty to the captives. It's who we are. So let's respond and be who we're made to be because creation is groaning for not just the revealing of God, the revealing of you, <laughs> the revealing of me. And we can do part of that now. Is it okay if I pray? God, I thank you that you're a restorer. Lord, from the very beginning, you break in, you step in, you give you draw close, you don't back off, 
because of pain and uncertainty or troubles, you draw close, Lord. And I ask for every heart in the room right now who needs the nearness of their restorer. God, we contend together that you would break in, that you would restore, that you would step into brokenness and bring light and truth and hope, that you would lift every burden. And Lord, I also ask that you would give us as the Light Church the joy, even this week, individuals, give us, show us again what it means that we have the joy of being a new creation. Lord, for the sin that is holding us, for the addictions that we haven't been able to overcome, for the habits that we can't break, Christ within us set us free. Lord, empower us to overcome. Let us dive into your word and find truth there. And Lord, finally, I ask that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see the groaning around us that is longing for a voice of restoration. And would you connect our hearts? Would you empower us to step in, to be the voice of hope? Let our lips be full of grace and truth just like yours, that we would point people to our creator and our restorer and together look with hope and expectation to the day when there will be no more tears and no more pain. In Jesus' name, amen.